Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. In 2008, I had to take a bus from Philadelphia to Boston. The bus ride was estimated to be seven hours, but I knew that snow and traffic would make it longer. I did what any reasonable person would do in 2008. I went to the Philadelphia Free Library and rented a portable DVD player and the BBC miniseries of Pride and Prejudice. I got a window seat on the bus and prayed that no one would sit next to me. But a very tall, very young man came and took the seat. It turns out that he was a high school football player on his way to New Haven for some reason. I, until recently, had taught high school English, so we chatted about what he was reading in school. I then excused myself. I was going to start watching my DVD. As the opening credits played over a woman embroidering, the young man tapped me on the shoulder. He said, hey, your DVD player has an extra earphone jack. Can I plug in and watch too? I responded, sure. I don't think you're going to like it, though. He said it's better than doing nothing and plugged in. We didn't talk for hours. We just watched in silence. As we switched DVDs, I'd ask him what he thought, and he'd shrug and say it was good, but not much else. When we rolled into New Haven, he unplugged. I paused to say goodbye, and he totally shocked me by saying, I hope Lizzie doesn't end up with Wickham. You can just tell he's a dick. That is the power of Pride and Prejudice. Last season on Hot and Bothered, we discussed my favorite romance novel, Jane Eyre. We posited that Jane Eyre, whether or not you've read it, is in you. The roguish love interest with the push and pull of flirtation, the mad woman in the attic, the poor orphan girl triumphant. These are the tropes that you know, and it's important to understand their source material. This season on Hot and Bothered, we are discussing Pride and Prejudice, the most famous English-language romance novel of all time, and arguably one of the most famous English-language novels of all time. In fact, many would say that it is the invention of the modern novel. I'm Vanessa Zoltan, and this is Season 4 of Hot and Bothered, live from Pemberley. Pride 
Pride and Prejudice was published in 1813. The Napoleonic Wars were still ongoing, King George was still on the throne, and slavery was still legal in England. We are not yet in the Victorian period when Charlotte Bronte would be writing. Jane Austen was the daughter of a clergyman, and although she lived in polite society, was not a member of the landed gentry who she often wrote about. She did have relatives who were part of that class, most notably a brother who was essentially sold to be adopted by an heirless, wealthy family. So the greatest writer of love stories in the minds of many never married. She famously flirted for a short while with an Irish lawyer and had a 24-hour engagement to a friend of her brother's. Why she never married is up for conjecture, But here is Claudia Johnson, English professor at Princeton University and co-author of the book 30 Great Myths About Jane Austen on what Austen did have instead of a husband. So people who think that she must have had this experience, otherwise how could she have written about it, basically believe that the novels are sort of a compensation an imaginative compensation for the love life she didn't have. And the fact is, Jane Austen did have something else in her life, and that was writing. And, you know, she had a blast writing. And, and you know, it worries me that people simply would read that as compensatory for amorous disappointment. I think her life was very full. Pride and Prejudice's first title was First Impressions, a title that is informative as we read the novel, even if it lacks alliteration. It was the second novel that Austen was able to publish, the first being Sense and Sensibility, and it was released when she was 37 years old. Although she was only published in her late 30s, she had been writing very seriously from very young. When she was a pre-teen, she already signed her writings, The Author, claiming her voice from the get-go. And boy, what a voice. Professor Johnson did a dramatic reading for us of the first line of a novel that Austen wrote as a pre-teen. I murdered my father at a very early age of my life. I have since murdered my mother, and I'm now going to murder my sister. I have changed my religion so often that at present I have not an idea of any left. I have been a perjured witness in several public trials during this past 12 years, and I have forged my own will. In short, there is scarcely a crime that I have not committed. And then the last sentence is the real kicker. But now I'm going to reform. (laughs) Isn't that great? (laughs) Yes, it is great. It's hilarious. After Pride and Prejudice was published, Austen would only live another four years, but she would see three more of her novels published in that time. Sense and Sensibility was published anonymously, although the cover did admit that it was by a lady. And Pride and Prejudice was written, according to its cover, by the author of Sense and Sensibility. The books did modestly well in Austen's lifetime. The Prince Regent loved them, so much so that Austen was all but forced to dedicate Emma to him, 
even though their politics were not aligned in the least. Like Jane Eyre, Queen Victoria and Prince Albert read Pride and Prejudice aloud to one another, but they did so after Austen's death. Austen's novels throughout this royal appreciation were still not the blockbusters that they are now. They only became hugely popular after her nephew wrote a biography of her, 50 years after her death. The biography is not considered by scholars to be particularly unbiased. It had particular motivations around Austen's politics to make her more palatable and easily digestible to protect his own reputation. But it is this biography that launched Austen into superstardom. And Austen's way of writing didn't just bewitch a prince regent and entertain a queen and a nation. It also almost single-handedly invented the modern novel. Here is Claudia Johnson again. The legacy, I think, for popular audiences is the uh, love story, no doubt, that she actually dignified the love story, that she gave it a plausibility and a dignity. And she, you know, she, she made you really know both sides of the story and she offered you a fantasy, at least, of happiness. I think for, for scholars, what she did was sort of create the modern novel. Because if you read Jane Austen, you realize that all of the novels that came before aren't Jane Austen, you know, and that they become hard to read because of Jane Austen, that she developed a way of talking, and it's called free and direct style, with a way of occupying somebody's thoughts and listening to somebody's thoughts as though they're having them and you're listening in on them, but also having a narrator who can come out you know, of, that, of that style and, and give you solid judgments or hints about what to think of this. So you know, it has both. And the early, earlier novel doesn't really have a way of telling you, of showing you what somebody is thinking. It can tell you what somebody thinks, but it can't really take you on the inside, you know? But the book, of course, didn't just change everything. It's not one of the great works that is encased in a shrine, but that we don't read. Pride and Prejudice can be found on nightstands. It remains one of the most popular and best-selling novels of all time. I can't overstate how much I love this book, and frankly, most of Austen. It's a cliche, but you really can read and reread her and always find something completely new. You'll hear a lot of Austen fans talk about how really persuasion or sense and sensibility are actually their favorites. And to be honest, whichever one of hers I've read most recently is probably my favorite, <clears throat> except for Mansfield Park. All of Austen is brilliant. But it isn't sense and sensibility with its ending of a compromise or persuasion that has so many years of suffering that is the book. It's this one, Pride and Prejudice. And here is Elsie Mitchie, professor in the Department of English at Louisiana State University, about why we love Pride and Prejudice so much. I actually think Alex Wallach is right about this. And in The One Versus the Many, which is an amazing book about minor and major characters in the novel and how they work, he says he thinks that 
Pride and Prejudice is like a fairy tale that that develops the origin of the plot of the novel, right? The Victorian novel. Like from then on, in some ways, all novels will be, or certainly all courtship novels will be versions of Pride and Prejudice. I mean, wow, that's wild. All courtship novels will be a version of Pride and Prejudice. This is a podcast that takes romance novels seriously. So here we are at its origin. I love Happily Ever Afters because to me, they are about hope. I love that romance novels talk about women's pleasure and have characters who demand to be treated well. But there's an argument to be made, and it is one that I have with myself, that our obsessions with finding romantic love, being synonymous with Happily Ever After, is hugely problematic and bad for women. And Pride and Prejudice solidified that fairy tale, bridging it from Shakespeare to the modern novel and making it a mainstay of our lives. This season, we're taking the marriage plot to trial. What are the stakes of a marriage plot and why do they matter? Is it good that the happily ever after is almost always tied to marriage? And what is going on in these plots beyond the swooning? Although I do love a good swoon. We will be looking at characters on the fringes of the novel, not just tracing Lizzie and Darcy's marriage plots, but Charlotte and Mr. Collins's, Lydia's and Wickham's, Jane's and Bingley's. We'll be looking at marriages like the Gardner's and the Bennett's and the Lucas's. We'll be asking ourselves, who does Austin want us to love and who does she want us to judge? We applaud Lizzie for turning down Mr. Collins, but we also applaud Charlotte for saying yes to him. Why? We will talk about art versus the artist, humiliation, cross-dressing, the flogging policies of the militia in the 19th century, and of course, most importantly of all, whether or not Darcy is hot. Join us in two weeks when we'll be discussing chapters one and two with my co-host Lauren Sandler. Formal dress required. This was our first episode of our new season, Live from Pemberley. Our next episode will be out in two weeks on April 8th. Please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash hotandbotheredrompod. Our show is only possible because of the generosity of you, our listeners. We want to give a special shout out to the very special people who are supporting us in our Jane Bennett tier. Elise Kanagaratnam, Gretchen Sneegus, Molly Real, Kristen Hall, Leah Baxley, Two Cats and a Book, Becky Boo and Biddy. And next episode, Lauren and I will be giving you all some very fancy titles. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Lady Ariana Nettleman, and we are distributed by ACAST. Special thanks this week to Claudia Johnson and Elsie Mitchie for speaking to us. And also, thanks as always to Lara Glass, Julia Argy, Gabby Yori, Nikki Zoltan, Stephanie Paulsell, and all of our patrons. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. 
This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com